the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and now your host for the CU at the Game podcast. As hard as it may be to believe, we are now finally going to get to talk about CU football. When I did my first ever podcast back in February, I thought my interview with Rick George was a fine way to kick off the podcast and get us ready for spring practices and the second year of the Mel Tucker era. Wasn't that a long time ago? Now here we are, looking at a seven-game conference-only schedule for the Buffs, with CU hosting UCLA in the opener on November 7th. Now that the team is back on the practice field, we can talk about units, positions, and what Buff fans can expect from their team. I will be joined momentarily by Brad Geiger, and we'll use our time to talk about the offense. In the first week of practice, the CU coaches surprised some of us by elevating senior Sam Neuer as a potential starter at quarterback in competition with junior Tyler Lytle, with freshman Brendan Lewis being relegated to third string. We will talk about utilizing Brendan Lewis in other situations just to get the freshman on the field, before moving on to talk about the CU depth chart at running back, wide receiver, tight end, and along the offensive line. I appreciate you tuning in to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe wherever you normally go to listen to your podcasts. See What the Game is available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other directories. Thanks again for checking in. Now, for the first time in 11 months, let's talk some CU football. Okay, we are finally, finally, after 11 months, in a position to talk a little football. Welcome back. My best man, my best friend, Brad Geiger, how are you doing? Well, CU football started practice this week, so everything is just a little better. The sky is a little bluer. The world is a little brighter. (laughs) Well, we'll hope that we can keep uh, the players, I guess they are quarantined for two weeks or they're staying in a hotel uh, for a couple of weeks, so all they're doing is going to get tested, going to practice, going back to the hotel, and hopefully studying for their classes. Now, one would hope some student athleting is going on at the same time. Yes. So what we're going to talk about today is a little roster lineup introductions. So we're going to talk about the offense today and, of course, the multi-million dollar question for the University of Colorado is... Who will be the starting quarterback? I did an essay just on that topic for this weekend. 
There are three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Senior Sam Neuer, who has been all over the place. He switched over to the defensive side of the ball and then went into the transfer portal and is now back in the fold. Junior Tyler Lytle, who is the only quarterback who actually has some playing experience of any note, and that's relatively small amount of play. Last year he played in three games, had one actual pass, which was incomplete. I think he has five for six in his CU career. And then there is true freshman Brendan Lewis, who accounted for 11,000 yards worth of offense in high school, but is, in fact, a true freshman. So in college, quarterback play is significant, if not vital. And we have to discuss who's going to be Colorado's starting quarterback. Do you have a favorite at this point? My favorite would, of course, be the hope that Brendan Lewis could come in and seize the job and learn on the job in a season where we have discussed having lowered expectations. That said, my expectation is that at least in the first couple of games, Tyler Lyle will be the quarterback um, because <laughs> of everything, I guess. The lack of spring practice, the lack of good lead-up practices, the fact that we're installing a brand new offense, the fact that we don't really know how the offensive line is going to play. So it seems like Carl Durrell, not being the gambler type, will start Lytle. It would be wonderful, however, if Lewis could get time of some kind, either in blowouts one way or the other. Well, at least we have the concept of no red shirts, no lost eligibility. In that sense, there's really no downside for Brendan Lewis getting playing time. That being said, I agree that, and it was part of my essay there, that Tyler Lytle, like as you said, would be the better option to start with. If we had a full spring, Tyler Lytle you know, would have been competing with Brendan Lewis. Brendan Lewis was, in here, was here for spring ball. He graduated early, was in Boulder for spring ball. So if there had been 15 spring practices and 15 fall camp practices or 20 fall camp practices, perhaps the starting quarterback against the university, well, Colorado State University, would have been Brendan Lewis. We would have just been up and running and going. But it's going to be difficult, as you noted, without a spring practice, without a lot of contact, uh, direct contact with the coaches and the players. The logical choice would be Tyler Lytle. My fear is that we're looking at Tyler Lytle the, came, the same way we're kind of looking at Carl Durrell right now, that we were put in a position of trying to find a head coach in February. And perhaps if we had been trying to find a head coach in November or December, Carl Durrell might not have been our head coach. And we are in a position in 2020 of not exactly having a quarterback scenario that is best for the future of the program, but you got to go with what you have. And Tyler Lytle at least would bring the most experience to the fore. 
Well, and we have to remember, we don't know the offense. Hopefully, Brendan Lewis and Tyler Lytle and Sam Neuer have seen a playbook. Have, you know, done some sort of coaching, have had some sort of idea about what they're supposed to do. Now, of course, there's no substitute for live fire practice. But they hopefully have some idea, and they hopefully have demonstrated to the coaches which ones grasp the playbook, which ones can do that. So, of course, our anticipation is that Carl and Darren and the rest of the offensive coaches have a better idea about who knows what's going on. Yeah. Well, Carl Durrell was quoted as saying it's not ideal. That's you know Those two words are his. Not ideal to give the ball to a true freshman. But he also was quoted as saying, if it comes down to where he ends up being the best guy, then we'll roll with it. And I can't see a reason this fall not to have him play at some point, whether it is specialized series where he has a number of plays that are scripted or he comes in on some sort of wildcat situation where not LaVisca Chanel type of deal, but you know, where you might have a, a run pass option where you can take advantage of his speed and agility, ability to get outside. Why not? Pat Rooney of the Daily Camera posted an essay saying that uh, CU fans should be geared for an 0-7 season, that it was more realistic for Colorado to go 0-7 this year than to go 4-3. and So if that's going to be the case, then why not start planning for 2021 and use year zero of 2020 as a learning curve for your freshman quarterback? Well, the downside to that is, of course, the confidence argument. Yes. Is can you ruin a young quarterback, even if you don't get him hurt, by putting him in and you know, facing the wolves? I don't know if this is going to be an 0-7 team. We may well, very well know by the end of the first half of the first game. If we walk out and get blown out in the first half of the UCLA game, we'll have an idea about what this team looks like. Yeah. And that may well make a difference for the rest of the season. And if you wanted to start a true freshman, the UCLA defense is a defense that works well for that purpose. You are, yes, you are at home, but in front of no fans, there would be less stress than if you were in front of 50,000 fans, whether they're home fans or road fans. And the fact that UCLA's defense has been in the 100-plus rankings the past two years and only returns three starters on defense from a lousy defense. So if you are going to have a splash success start to a COVID-riddled season, UCLA at home could not be a better opponent. But we will talk more about the schedule when we get closer to November 7th. I'd like to move on to the other offensive positions or offensive units coming back at running back. We have a starter that's returning, Alex Fontenot, who went for 874 yards last year. He's a junior this year, and of course, classifications classes mean nothing this year because nobody loses a year of eligibility. And Jaron Magnum was the second leading rusher on the team last year with 441 yards. 
do you see any reason for those two not to be number one and number two when we hit mid-December? No. I mean, neither one of those guys is probably going to be on the Heisman Trophy list or the Doug Walker list. But they are more than a step above functional running backs. We have not, since they've been there, had the kind of offense that emphasized grinded out or time of possession. It is to be expected, I think, that we will probably run the ball more. So I would very much expect those two to be splitting carries, and I would not be surprised if they have some success in doing so. Well, they certainly have the experience, and it certainly would make sense if you're trying to gear an offense. And that's another thing I do give Carl Durrell credit for, at least in speechifying, and again, this all might be coach speak in the end, but talking about gearing his playbook, gearing his play sheet to the talents of the players that he has, not trying to bring his system in and saying, this is the way I run the ball, this is the way I pass the ball, and we are going to make it work on my system. He has had six months to try and figure out the talents of his players. He'll have another 20 practices to figure out how to mold those talents and utilize those talents. So hopefully the idea would be is that, okay, we want to take as much stress off of our quarterback as possible. So the best way to do that is to control the ball and to get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. And one way to do that is to hand the ball off. Um, well, that, go ahead. You know, we have not had a run-heavy offense here for some time. The last three years has been coaches trying to figure out how we make Steven Montez work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and taking advantage of the, the extraordinarily and unique talent of LaVisca Chanel. So we have to see if this team and this line can get, I don't know, the word tougher always seems a little bit overstated, but whether or not they can sustain power in the trenches, whether they can learn more straight ahead run blocking. And if they do, then I think the running backs we have have sufficient talents to make use of that. And again, with there are a number of underclassmen and let's not forget that Ashad Clayton is a true freshman coming in who will not lose a year of eligibility. You don't have to worry about playing four games or less to maintain your eligibility. That there's another player there where perhaps not as a starter, but perhaps as a third down back, perhaps as a short yardage back, something along those lines where you have packages for these talented players that are coming in. Um, we can talk a lot about Mel Tucker, but you know, one thing he did bring us was two very decent recruiting classes. And those players are going to have an opportunity to participate in this, you know, seven game season. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we have packages for the both of the true freshmen. Yes. Wide receiver. Again, Colorado tends to be very talent laden. There are arguments that, Darren Chivarini doesn't necessarily get the most out of the talent that we have, but again, that gets back to quarterback play, gets back to whether or not the line can give the quarterback time to throw. But I don't think anybody would argue that Colorado is deficient in terms of returning, receiving quarter, uh, in terms of receivers returning. 
Yes, LaVisca Chenault is now playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but Katie Nixon, who briefly talked about going pro, decided to come back. He is going to be a senior starter. We also have Dimitri Stanley back, who had 312 yards worth of receptions, two touchdowns last year. And Dimitri Stanley, along with three talented juniors, Daniel Arias, we've been talking about for some time. It's hard to believe he's a junior that really hasn't had the opportunity or hasn't produced as much as we were hoping for. Jalen Jackson, Maurice Belt, two other juniors. And then you've got, again, freshmen. Vontae Chenault, if he can get through, we don't know what sort of suspension he's going to have for the DUI he got in Fort Collins, whether or not he's going to be able to play or what his eligibility situation is going to be. Uh, another Brendan, this is Brendan with an E, Brendan Rice, of course, is another name that people are going to be looking for as a true freshman that might participate and might play. And we've been hearing nice things about Keith Miller, another true freshman that's coming in. So if we have a quarterback that can throw and we have a line that can protect, would you concur that we have a receiving core that can be productive in the Pac-12? Well, this is a full-on Pac-12 quality receiving core. Katie Nixon is capable of both stretching the field and has made some tough catches on crossing routes and that kind of thing. And is probably a NFL caliber talent if he can find the stats to impress people. So, yeah, I think if we can get somebody who can throw the ball to him, these are guys who will make the catches and who might make some exciting catches. Also enthralled with Chenault last year, then we forgot that KD Nixon has very important and very key catches um, in games where it mattered. Yeah, I think it comes down to how they're utilized. And yeah, there there is certainly enough talent there to put out there on the field to be productive. And we'll just have to see again, the offense is going to be we assume something's fairly similar to what we've seen the past few years with Darren Cheverini being a holdover, being a former offensive coordinator and now back to being offensive coordinator and being a short practice period that there's not going to be wholesale changes in the offense from what we've seen the past few years. One area where we might see more production, which has been something that's been promised to us for at least a decade, but I don't think it's actually really come to the fores for a long period of time is that a tight end. Brady Russell returns. And if you're a fan of just toughness, just joie de vivre in terms of loving to play football and loving to be part of a team, you have to love Brady Russell. You just love to see his locks of hair running down the field. And hopefully he will be getting more attention. And there are, other freshmen or, you know, again, Fourier, speaking of names, you know, in tight end production in the past, you know, Caleb Fourier is a true freshman coming in. There's a potential there for the tight end position to actually be productive. Or is this, once again, our preseason hope for, pray for, love to see it won't actually happen production from the tight end position? why I think there is more of a chance for production from the tight end position. In the NFL, that big guy who can run close to the receivers, cross the patterns, 
is a key member of the NFL uh, offense. Bill Belichick and, you know, initiated that, of course, with extraordinary people, but all kinds of teams have found that having that guy who can come across on the slant across the middle or that kind of thing opens it up for everybody else. Where has Carl Durrell been coaching the last couple of years? And that would be the NFL. Um, Carl, we have to hope, is able to learn. And he has been playing. He was in the same division with Bill Belichick. So I think if he finds one of those guys that he thinks has the talent, I don't think he'll have any problem feeding uh, a tight end and hoping that that tight end can make those key first downs. It would be a... A, a small dream come true to have Colorado and tight end be associated once again. It seems like, I guess it goes back to Mike McIntyre that he had an All-American at San Jose State at tight end. And we were all like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. He knows how to coach tight ends. If he can get a Fresno State, I'm sorry, San Jose State, did I say Fresno State? San Jose State tight end to be named All-American, imagine what he can do once he gets to Boulder. And a whole lot of nada when it came to production, realistically large-scale, impressive production from the tight end position. Well, and it leads on to, if anybody would have been throwing to the tight end, one would think John Emery would have occurred. That would have occurred (laughs) to him at some point in his short tenure. Yes. But, uh, not recall that he was feeding anybody either. I would have to go back and look at the stats, but those two years I've tried to blank from my memory. So we'll just take it on spec that amongst all other things that were not productive in those two years, the tight end position was also not productive. Now it's kind of hard to go, you kind of going deep into the weeds. Most people, including me, you know, would have a hard time understanding the capabilities and talents of an offensive lineman. We know what happens when fourth and one works out and when fourth and one doesn't work out. We can see when there's holding penalties. We can see when our quarterback is running for their lives. We can see when there are gaping holes for the running backs to go through. But how that works, how that gels, what's the magic sauce, what's the secret sauce for that is – a mystery to most of us, including myself. All I can say is that there are a number of returning players from the offensive line from last year. Uh, the star of which, of course, is William, William Sherman, who was at right tackle last year. The thinking is, is that he's going to be going to left tackle to protect the quarterback this upcoming season. He could have gone pro perhaps as a junior, but he came back for his senior year or for his junior year, excuse me, and is likely to, you know, go pro at some point. Kerry Kutch is the only senior on the line, which means we've got a lot of young guys. Again, he's the starting left guard. And Colby Purcell, who has bandied back and forth between guard and tackle and been injured a great deal, but has a lot of starting experience, is also back. So you've got three very good, or at least experienced offensive linemen coming back. Then there are a couple more juniors, Chance Lytle, Heston Page, and a whole slew of sophomores. Uh, Frank Phillip might get a start. Kane and Ray likely to get it, you know, some playing time. 
And there are a number of redshirt freshmen. These are, again, uh, Mel Tucker recruits, but highly thought of Mel Tucker recruits that you would hope would not be seeing the playing field, even as redshirt freshmen, even as redshirt freshmen that don't lose a year of eligibility. You would hope that there's enough between the one senior, the four juniors, and the four sophomores that the freshmen will not have to play this year. Any feel for what we've got coming in terms of the offensive line and what you are hoping for, expecting in terms of production this spring or this fall, this winter? (laughs) I have no idea. Um, And I think I speak for most Buff fans when I say that because not only do we not know a lot of those players, we we are constantly told that the offensive line is the place where coaching matters the most. That if you have that guy, you can bring them in and mold them into a unit and teach them the techniques that you can take athletes that are not viewed as being spectacular and turn it into a functioning unit. None of us know if Mitch Rodriguez, if I'm even pronouncing that name right, can be that guy. Yeah. Okay? He does not bring the resume we would hope. Yes. Perhaps. Um, he is a classic journeyman coach who has been everywhere from Southern Miss to Alabama high school football. That is, the offensive line is more than ever the great black hole. We don't know who will be starting what position. We don't know how it will be rearranged. We are probably, if the NFL is any indication, going to see more injuries uh, because of the short practice and the lack of uh, training camp and the lack of full-on strength training. So this is truly, it is a cliche to say that the game is one of the trenches, but we have no idea what our trenches will look like. And you're quite correct that there is some fear that in going from an offensive line coach who turned down SEC jobs initially when Mel Tucker was staying to leaving and going to Michigan State to be with Mel Tucker and replacing a highly sought after, at least you're talking about at least three power five conference schools that believe that he was an upgrade to what they had to, yes, a off, an offensive line coach that was last seen coaching high school. Again, there the cupboard is not empty, so that is promising. One thing you have to give Mel Tucker credit for in his coaching staff the, was the philosophy, the belief to recruit from the inside out, that they were heavy on offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And so some talent has been brought in there. Again, they might not be seeing the playing field this year, but there is hope for, if not the near future, the long future of the offensive line at Colorado because there are a number of offensive line recruits that have some good resumes in the pipeline. And I am happy that we are now at least recruiting 300 to 320-pound offensive line, which is hard for me to believe out of high school that anybody's 320 pounds and doesn't look fat. But they exist in the world, and that's the recruiting world we're up against, that Colorado is now – Instead of saying we're going to take this 255-pound offensive lineman in high school and build him into something, 
we are going to start with a 300-pound offensive lineman from high school and say, well, we don't have to go as far to build them into something. So that in and of itself is a step in the right direction. So it's hard to say that this offense is going to be taking the Pac-12 by storm. I think that would be highly optimistic, overly optimistic, that I'm not sure if I'm as pessimistic as Pat Rooney, the Daily Camera, that thinks it's more realistic that this team goes 0-7 and 4-3. and But it is going to be a struggle at times. And we can say it's because we have a new quarterback. We can say because of new coaching staff. We can say because we didn't have a spring practice. But the Pac-12 South, which is five of our first six games, is not impressing the rest of the world. USC apparently is impressing the rest of the world because they moved back into the AP poll this week. They're now the number 25 team in the country after playing zero games and still being four weeks removed from playing their first game. But they are now back into the top 25 because the rest of the country keeps beating up on itself, which is good for Oregon fans and perhaps for USC fans that think that their teams have a shot at the college football playoff. But I'm going to preach, and you've heard it from me, and anybody that's listened to the podcast has heard from me, you're going to hear it again and again, that we have to look at this as year zero, and you can look at it as a, a red shirt year, if you will, for Carl Durrell, and most of the team, probably 75 of the 85 scholarship players, are going to be back next year. So this is a team that gets a seven-game preseason and might not look very pretty doing it, but hopefully it'll give us something to build on for 2021. And I think the offense is going to have some growing pains. There's potentially some talent there, but there's also some holes. And it would be, I think, incorrect to not acknowledge that. Well, I think we have to consider more what we want to see. If by the end of the season, we know what, the quarterbacks can do. We have a good idea about what they can, what their competences are, what they can do if they, you know, do not resemble some of our recent quarterbacks who look at different defenses like they're trying to read Sanskrit, for example. Um, and you're not talking about Cepho. <laughs> like we can <laughs> sometimes have the offensive line appear to moving coordination. If we can see Alex Fontenot finding the smaller holes and making those steps. If the tight ends catch 17, 18 passes over a season, then we can start looking at optimism. It, if you go in thinking that this team's going to score 45 or even 35 or probably even 28 points a game, you're going to have a disappointing season. But if you can say, these are the progress we need to see, we've got seven or eight offensive linemen who look like they can block somebody. We've got a quarterback who looks like he can see what he's supposed to see and actually make a second read. Then I think there will be reasons for us come next spring. This can't be a better team. If we don't see those things, then of course there is reason for pessimism. Well, we can look at it. We've got seven spring games to watch. You know, the spring game where you try and grade on potential and try and grade on 
what you see an improvement rather than the final score, which you soon forget as soon as the final gun goes off for the spring game. It's going to be hard in terms of recruiting. If you go one and six, it's going to be difficult to get the fan base excited about the Carl Durrell era. If you have a team that goes one and six, but you also have to look at, like you say, what can we build on? Does this team get better? Mel Tucker's defense got better over the course of the 2019 season. We were pretty much O for November for the last couple of years of the Mel Tucker, I'm sorry, the Mike McIntyre era, but the team rose up and beat Stanford, uh, beat Washington in November. And that in and of itself is reason for some optimism um, from the Colorado fan base. So this offense, again, has some talent. This offense, again, has some inexperience. This offense has some questions. But at least, if nothing else, for seven games, we get to see the Colorado offense. So we'll get excited about November 7th. We're going to talk a little bit about the defense before we get there. And once we do that, then we're going to start talking about the UCLA Bruins and what to expect from Chip Kelly year three. So, Bradford, thank you as always, and we will talk again soon. It is always a joy to talk CU football. Thanks for listening. Just to give you an idea of what to expect from the podcast in the coming weeks. It is my expectation that we will be posting a look at CU's defense and special teams next week with a look at the Pac-12 as a whole, and UCLA in particular, in the week leading up to CU's home opener. If you've been a regular at the CU at the Game website over the years, you know that I post my tips preview on Wednesdays before CU plays. If you are new to the website and the podcast, my tips stand for reviews of T for Talent, I look at what the buffs will face on the other side of the line. I is for intangibles, which team will have better motivation for the game. P is for preparation of schedules, which team has the advantage come into the game. And S is for statistics, numbers you need to know and a few numbers you can use to impress your friends about the upcoming game. My plan is for the podcast to have a review slash preview posted by the middle of each week during the season with a review of CU's prior game and a preview, tips if you will, for the upcoming game. I hope that between the website and the podcast, you'll be the most well-informed Buff fan you can be. Thank you again for your time. Until next time, be well and stay safe. Go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.